Welcome to Built to Go, a van life podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Wagg, coming to you from the College of Curiosity. This time, it's a bonus episode. This is not a normal episode. Heck, this isn't even a podcast. What I'm doing here is I'm taking the audio from the AMA, Ask Me Anything, that I did on YouTube this week, because I thought maybe somebody had two spare hours in which they wanted to listen to me talk about things like Antarctica, Salem, Massachusetts, the Panama Canal, a few different van life things. I mean, it's it's two hours of me yapping about stories and things, and heck, it may not be your bag at all, so don't feel like you have to listen to this, because it's really not even that much about van life. But heck, if you've got nothing else to do, and you have some house cleaning to do, or you're painting the van or whatever, and you just want some companionship for two hours, well... Here you go. <laughs> now, this is not heavily edited. It's it's just literally the audio I stripped out of the YouTube. Uh, the video is up on YouTube, by the way. If you would actually want to watch me <laughs> flapping my gums for two hours, you can do that too. But uh, anyway, here it is. Enjoy. Cheers. Thank you, everyone, for coming to this. My very first um, Ask Me Anything. Now, Ask Me Anything AMAs are usually... Famous celebrity type people fielding questions from folks. That is not what this is. I am here to simply answer any questions you might have about anything I'm involved with, especially the upcoming cruise. Uh, that's the thing that has the most information that needs to be dispensed. If you are, for example, if you do not have your passport yet, you should be panicked right now. And uh, I'm happy to expound upon that. I also would like to talk about our plans for the upcoming Antarctica trip. And a possible trip to Salem, Massachusetts next year, 2024. And then whatever the heck else you want to talk about. If you want to talk about lithium iron phosphate batteries and vans, I'm good with that too. Because the van life community was invited to this as well. Big Rob, excuse me, is here. He's building out his van. And uh, he's a very brave soul doing van life in Oklahoma where it is significantly warmer than here. So um, I have to look at the chat occasionally. And it's a little bit of a strange thing here. I have a green dot on my screen, and that's what I look at. That represents you. So to give you the proper eye contact, I have to look at the green dot. But I also have to read the chat, which is down here. So that's what's going on when I'm not looking at the camera. I'm reading the chat. So uh, we've answered the flag question. Um, I'm really surprised that this is a crown, but I kind of see it now. I still like the old design better. Um, I'm nodding as you said the descriptions. Oh, good. Okay. Nodding is good. <laughs> do you need to bring underwear on the cruise? That is entirely up to you. I do believe that if you don't wear anything at all, you may get uh, a, a word. But that's a, it's a good introduction. Let's... Can someone post the questions for me? I don't have a channel. Hold on a second. I'm getting questions from somewhere else. Um, don't need a channel... Just a Google account. Okay, so uh, some people have... See, even YouTube. There is no one way to communicate with people because not everyone has the same thing. So even YouTube, like everybody's got YouTube. Um, the way they ask it is to sign into your channel and not everyone has a channel, even though they technically do because every Google account comes with a channel. You just might not know that. So some people can't even log in here, which is a shame. I, I tried to open it up to the world, but I couldn't find out. Anyway, like I said, first time experiment. But let's talk about dress codes. All right, so it used to be in the days of sailing on liners and, uh, you know, cruise ships that 
there were definite dress codes. Like on Canard, for example, which we brought up earlier, you were expected to dress formally at dinner. I mean, we're not talking about a tie here. We're talking about, you know, a tuxedo. <laughs> you know, and women had to wear gowns. I mean, that was just expected. And to some extent, Canard is still stuffy like that. These days, especially on celebrity, the dress code is much looser. Um, there is a dress code, but it's kind of a suggestion. So in my groups, we have decided that we are not going to care so much about that. We're much more interested in people being comfortable. But in the daily program every day, there will be a listing of what the day's uh, basically dress code is, even though it isn't one. Casual, for men, they suggest slacks and a polo shirt. That's casual. And then the other nights are called evening chic and maybe a blazer and a tie and a dress shirt for men. And as I always say, women always know what to wear, but something a little dressier. That's the suggestion. But things have changed so much now that you're not going to feel out of place honestly wearing a black t-shirt and nice jeans in the dining room. I mean, you might get some glances from some people, but that's their problem. It's not going to be a problem in our group on my trips and nobody's going to stop you at the door and say, sir, I do not believe your Slayer shirt is appropriate for the evening. Could you please go change? It isn't going to happen. Now, if you go there in flip-flops and a muscle shirt or something like that, yeah, you know, a wet bathing suit, you'll probably get talking to <laughs> it'll be very polite <laughs> but uh generally just try not to be a slob <laughs> that's the dress code you know um my my uh my take on this whole thing is that hawaiian shirts are always formal wear that's how i handle it and everybody can wear a hawaiian shirt if they want to and i know there's this community of like kind of nasty people who've adopted these as their uniform but screw them they don't get to take this we're owning the Hawaiian shirts. They're ours. Okay. So, um, any other questions of that? As far as whether you wear underwear or not under that stuff, that's completely up to you. Okay. Welcome wild hair. Uh, I apologize. I don't actually know who you are because now I have to do this whole cross-linking thing of this is their name here. And this is what's their real. So I don't know. So if you want me to know who you are, you can tell me, but it doesn't matter. <laughs> okay. Um, let me just launch into my ideas for Antarctica. Now, like I said earlier, I don't have the ability to share screens. I can't give you a presentation because the YouTube software won't allow that. I find this very frustrating. But I did prepare a bunch of links. So if you're looking for information on the Alaska cruise that right now I think is the one we're going to do, here's the link. I'm going to paste it in the chat. Now, this Let's let's talk about Antarctica. For anybody wanting to go to Antarctica, you have to realize that this is not a simple thing. This is not like going to Nassau. It requires time. It requires money, <laughs> of course. And it requires um, some stamina. Let's call it that. There are four ways to get to Antarctica that I know of. Four. Oh, okay, gutter junk, that's two. I still don't know who you are. It doesn't matter. Okay, There's four ways to get to Antarctica. Number one, sail your own vessel there. Yeah, if you have a sailboat, there's nothing stopping you from just sailing to Antarctica, except, like, you might die. There's that, but, you know. Number two, you can get a job down there. That's another way to get there. Or be stationed there. Be in the military and be stationed there. That's another way to do it. Number three, and the way I did it last November, is to take an expedition cruise. And then number four is to take 
accrues. So the thing we need to talk about is what's the distinction there? And next expedition cruise is a small ship that for most voyages, not all, but for most voyages will simply go straight to Antarctica and then back to Argentina in Ushuaia. It's grueling. You're on this little tiny boat going through the Drake Passage, and the ship is not a cruise ship. It has some of the amenities of a cruise ship, but not all of them, and everything on board is geared towards education. You don't have a whole lot of entertainment going on. There's usually just one bar, and it may only be open in the evenings. There's one dining room. Sometimes it's only a buffet. It's that kind of a thing. If you've done Galapagos with me, that's what it's like. It's that kind of a trip. Okay, that is not what I am proposing. Okay, um, I like expeditions. I think they're wonderful. I would love to go on an expedition with you all, but we're talking about a minimum of $10,000 invested in that and two weeks. And it's complicated because you generally will have to fly to Buenos Aires and then switch airports, hop on another airline that's an Argentinian airline and everything's in Spanish and then fly to Ushuaia. So I am not proposing that right now. If you are interested in expedition, I can tell you everything I know about it. I can make some recommendations right now. Um, and I'll actually, I'll point to, post a link to this too. The most attractive expedition to me right now going to Antarctica is G Adventures. Now, this is the group we used when we went to Africa. However, they do not have any long-term bookings right now. Uh, these are all... I mean, this is actually a bargain. It's fifty-four fifty-nine per person, but you have to go this December. That's plus airfare, and the airfare is not inconsequential. So anyway, I'm going to post this. Please do not get confused. I am not going on this trip. I am simply saying that if you absolutely want to do an expedition, this is not a bad place to look, okay? Their ship is super old, but it only has 134 people. This is a very important thing to know about Antarctica. If you're going to go to Nassau or something like, where's this accent thing coming from? Yikes. If you're going to go to Nassau or someplace like that, you just get off the ship. You can't do that in Antarctica. First off, there's no docks. <laughs> you cannot dock anywhere in Antarctica. You're going to get on Zodiacs, those inflatable boats. But there is a law, an international law, that no more than 100 people from the same vessel can be ashore at any time. This means that if you have 134 people on the ship, you're going to have to go in waves. Those last 34 people are going to have to wait until people come back. Now, in practice, 134 is not that bad because not everybody's going to go ashore every day. Some people aren't going to be ready the first thing. That isn't going to be too big of a deal. But if you get to a bigger ship, like say that has 200 people, yeah, then you're going to, get, you're going to wait. But that's expeditions we're talking about. I'm going on a cruise, and I'm inviting you to come with me. Hello. A cruise has too many people, and they will not let you ashore in Antarctica. That is the biggest difference between Antarctica cruises and Antarctic expeditions. However, Antarctica cruises are on a regular cruise ship. Everything you can do on a regular cruise ship, you can do on these ships. They're much larger vessels. They go through the Drake Passage faster with stabilizers. They're much, much more comfortable. And they go other places. And this is another big selling point. The cruise I'm recommending leaves from Buenos Aires. That simplifies transportation dramatically. 
And then it goes to other places like Puerto Madryn. It goes to the Falkland Islands. It goes to Ushuaia. And you get to see some of the local culture and stuff that you do not see on most of the expeditions to Antarctica unless you go on the longer, much, much more expensive ones. If you're looking for that G Adventures link that I, at that G Adventures link that I just put, you can see the difference. Antarctica Classic is the standard way to get to Antarctica on an expedition, but the spirit of Shackleton is what you have to do if you want to go somewhere else, and it's $19,000 a person to start with. You can see why I'm recommending the cruise part. How many days are these cruises? Well, it's at least 10 days to do an expedition down to Antarctica, unless you do the fly cruise things. There is a way now with a group called Antarctica 21 that they leave from Punta Arenas, Chile, and fly to Antarctica, land on the ice, and then you get on the ship there. But at least 10 days. They, they have one that's called Antarctica Express, I think that's seven days, but it's terrible. You spend six days traveling and one day in Antarctica, and it's not worth it. The cruises are at a minimum 14 days, just like Panama Canal. They're at a minimum of 14 days. This is one of the problems. So this trip that I'm recommending is not going to be for everyone. It's expensive and it takes a lot of time, but you will get to Antarctica. You will get to South America. You'll get to see Argentina. You'll get to see Chile. You'll get to see the Falkland Islands. And then you will hear why that's the UK and no, 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 that's Argentina. And let, you know, there was a war over that. You will see penguins. You will walk with penguins. You will see icebergs. All this stuff you will see, but you will not set foot on Antarctica. So uh, let me stop and catch up with the chat here. Okay, looks like we're caught up. So, okay. Now, there's a very big conversation to have here about have you been to Antarctica or not? Seems like a simple thing, right? Have you been to Europe? Well, yeah, all right, I've been to Germany, right? So I've been to Europe. Well, okay, I've been to the UK. Is that Europe? <laughs> Depends on which definition. It's not Europe as a legal entity. I mean, it's European as a continent. Iceland. Iceland, Europe? Well, when you land in Iceland, you're in the EU. Does that make it? Antarctica is the same way. Where does Antarctica start? I mean, technically it starts at, uh, what is it? 66 degrees, 30 minutes south latitude. Um, I didn't go there. I didn't get below that line. I certainly didn't get to the South Pole. I did walk on the continent. So that means I went there, right? But if you look at a map of the continent without the ice on it, it's just a bunch of islands. So I was just on an island. So... I wasn't on the same island that the South Pole's on. So, you know, it ends up being all completely arbitrary. And on the trip that I was on when I just went down there in November, everyone was like, when are we going to get to the mainland? When are we get to the mainland? And the tour guides were like, knock it off. You've been in the Antarctic for two days now. This is no different than this. It's all the same thing. You've all been to Antarctica. And that is my perspective on it now. My favorite parts of going down to Antarctica were on the ship. I mean, sure, we got off in the Zodiacs, and we walked around with the penguins and stuff, which was fine. But the best parts were from the ship because that's where you could take in the landscape. And to me, that's what it was about. So they're not the same thing. There are pros and cons to expeditions and cruises. 
But for the group that usually travels with me, based on everything I know about them, their, their physical capabilities, their interests, their wallets, <laughs> I think this is the best bet. It's that celebrity cruise February 1st for 14 days, leaving from Buenos Aires and returning to Buenos Aires. I think that's the best bet. <sighs> okay, so that's the Antarctica trip. What questions do you have about Antarctica or the trip? And actually, you can ask me anything you want, because if you don't, I'm just going to keep yapping, and that'll be a long yap. There he goes. He's looking at the chat, waiting for questions, knowing that there's a 10-second delay. He's waiting some more. He's going to have some beer. Here he goes. Ready? Okay. So how close does the cruise get? Oh, yeah. You, the cruises will go. It's very similar to Alaska, <laughs> at least the old days of Alaska. If you've been to Alaska and you remember sailing with the glaciers, you know, you go up to the glaciers, it's going to be very much like that in Antarctica. It's a very similar experience. Our most recent trip to Alaska discounted. <laughs> More like the old ones. Am I already set on the dates? Kinda. Um, I have booked myself on those dates. There are other dates uh, two weeks before and two weeks after that I could also consider, but I would need a compelling reason to do so. There doesn't seem to be much pricing difference between them, but February 1st, 2025 seems to really work well. Um, but, you know, if, if I had three people who said, we'd really like to go, but we have to go earlier, well, I can, I can probably do that. Um, Irena, the dates are... And again, I don't have the ability to put things up on the screen. I'm sorry. February 1st through February 14th or 15th. I mean, you got to add padding days on either end. 2025. So beginning of February 2025. So how much is it? Well, this is a weird cruise. For all my other cruises, I know how much it is. I can tell you. This is the amount. Because I have a group and I book cabins and I get cabins at a certain price. I can't get a group on any Antarctica cruise, they don't do that. So this puts me in a, in a pickle. Now, the travel agency, which is called Absolutely Cruising, that my father started, father? My father. My father started many years ago, um, decades ago, has, is part of a consortium, basically, and we can get somewhat different pricing than the general public. It may not be greater, but sometimes it's pretty good. So when you ask me how much it is, I can't give you exact numbers, but I can give you a number that it kind of puts it in the ballpark. And it's about $3,500 per person plus some fees. And this is on celebrity, so that should include gratuities and drinks, but I'm not entirely clear on that. So we're in that ballpark. This is on Celebrity. This is on Celebrity Equinox. That is a Solstice-class ship. So the same class of ship we just took to Alaska, the same class of ship we took to Australia, same class of uh, ship we took to uh, Asia and Scandinavia. And we've done a lot on these Solstice-class ships. So it's the one with the grass. <laughs> the ship with the grass, which is a great ship to go to Antarctica on, honestly, because it has all that deck space really up high so you can take in, I mean, you can walk 360 degrees around the ship and just take in the amazing blue ice. I mean, I, I'm posting pictures behind me of Ushuaia and Antarctica, but sometimes you'll see these icebergs come up on there that are just stunning, and you'll be able to see those just great. Mark, what are the dates of your gem show? And uh, while I'm waiting for him, uh, refundable deposit, maybe. 
So the way it works now with cruise lines is you get a lower price if you have a non-refundable deposit. I don't know. Um, because it's not a group, things are weird there too. Depending, sometimes you can do a $50 deposit on these and sometimes you can't. Antarctica is weird to begin with and not doing a group is even weirder. So it's a little tricky. Yeah, you could do a gem show on the on the cruise. Uh, Oak did that, uh, was it Scandinavia? Yeah, on Scandinavia cruise, he did a little gem thing. That was pretty cool. <laughs> oh, let's see. Do I get sick of seeing penguins on a cruise? I do. Honestly, um, I found the penguins annoying. Everybody loves the penguins, okay? I'm weird. A lot of people go to Antarctica just to see the penguins. Um, I was mad at them for messing up the snow and the ice. <laughs> I would rather there weren't any penguins. I'm not going to do anything about that. But honestly, my favorite landscapes were the ones that didn't have penguins. But if you are going for penguins, you will see penguins in Antarctica and you will be able to walk amongst them at at least two different ports, Ushuaia and Puerto Madryn. Both of those have penguin tours. I think the Falklands might have some penguins too. Okay, Mark, yeah, let me know. I mean, if you guys definitely know what you want to go, I mean, the dates are flexible-ish. I mean, we're talking 2025 here, okay? So it's like 18 months away. Yeah, so there are penguins in the Falklands. So you will see penguins. Um, there's no doubt about it. You will see whales. You just want to talk about the wildlife in Antarctica. We saw an incredibly rare species of dolphin while we were there. We saw all the seabirds. Like, there's a list of seabirds that live in Antarctica. We, we saw them all. We saw um, lots of different kinds of whales. We saw orcas, sea lions, and three different species of penguins, at least. You will not see the really big emperor penguins. Those live much farther south. So if you want to see those, that's a whole special thing. They have special expeditions just to see the emperor penguins. But you'll see chin straps, which are the cute ones that look like they have a chin strap. And you'll see gentoos. And you may see Magellan penguins if you see them up north. And what's the other one? Um, chin strap, gentoo, and Adelaide. Adelaide. We saw all three of those. Those are all called the bushtail penguins. We saw all of them. And they kind of like each other. They will even merge their colonies together sometimes. Oh, and, and Mark's got penguins in the neighborhood. <laughs> Mark lives in Chile, as I said. So there you go. Um, flights. Now, uh, Matt brings up a, a big point. Now, we're talking about 2025 yet, which we can't see. But flying to Buenos Aires is not cheap. That is, that is a significant expense. So you have to plan on that. For me, the way I got to Buenos Aires was I left from Atlanta. So I took a flight to Atlanta and flew from Atlanta to Buenos Aires nonstop. I think that's probably what most folks would do. And I think for me, I think if I remember correctly, it was $1,100, but it looks like it's even more than that now. Flying is up in the air, folks. I can't give you any promises about flights or anything. Um, but another nice thing about doing the cruise ship rather than the expedition is that you can book your airfare through the cruise line. And I never recommended that in the past, but now it's a really good deal for two reasons or three at least. One is that you don't have to pay until you pay for your cruise. So you get to book the flight and book your seat and have a, a reservation number and everything, but you don't have to pay for it until you actually sail on the cruise. That means if something happens, the cruise is canceled, you break a leg, whatever, you can cancel it and it cancels the airfare too, which is not so easy to do if you book direct. Also, they 
seem to be cheaper. Uh, somehow the cruise lines are getting cheaper fares than I can get much of the time. So that's a good thing too. And it bundles everything together in this one nice package that you can ensure through the cruise line if you want to. In the old days, you'd have to insure, well, you didn't have to, but if you took the cruise line insurance, you'd have to insure the cruise with them. And then if you wanted to insure your air, you'd have to do that with somebody else. Now you can bundle it all in the very simple cruise insurance. Although there are other ways to do insurance too. Um, you know, we can talk more about insurance. I, I found this site that I really like for insurance that um, works out well. Although, because I'm technically a travel agent, I have other resources, etc. So, um, and again, you're going to Buenos Aires. Also, it goes to Uruguay. You get to go to Montevideo too, or Montevideo, depending on how you want to pronounce that. Um, so you get to add that country too, which I love Uruguay. I thought Uruguay was the greatest thing. I've not been to Montevideo, uh, but boy, the, the, the one day I spent in Uruguay made a huge impression on me. Okay. Um, all right. Looking for questions. Let me see. Did I miss any? Okay, airfare, we got that. How soon do we have to book? Okay, this is the weird part about this. So um, I originally was going to do a group right away, but groups expire. So when I create a group, like I, the way creating a group works is I'll say, I want 10 balcony cabins and 15 outside cabins and six inside cabins, whatever. And they will say, okay, we'll give you these and you can have these at a certain price and they must get a deposit on them for you to actually get them. Okay. So then I go to you guys and say, Hey, here's what I've got. And then you give me a deposit and then boom, I get that cabin. But after a certain amount of time, those expire and they're basically options. If you want to think of them that way. And if I don't get a deposit on them, they go away. Well, because this cruise is in 2025, I didn't want to do it too early because I didn't want to lose my cabins, you know, 18 months or even two years before the cruise. Instead, what I found out is they don't do groups on these. There aren't any groups. So, um, that means I don't have group pricing for you, but I can maybe get you, I'm sorry, I said that wrong. I don't have my own cabins in a group, but because we belong to this consortium, we might be able to get group pricing. It's tricky. Um, that's why I'm almost going to have to do this on a case by case basis when it comes to price. If you book early you will have to pay a deposit. It may be non-refundable, but you are more likely to get the cabin that you want. And if the price goes down between now and final payment, which is 75 or 90 days before the cruise, you can adjust and get that money back usually. So um, that would be the reason to book now. Or you can wait and see what happens. Uh, they look like they're popular. I know that when I booked this cabin for myself, geez, when was that? Oh, I guess it was in Alaska. So in May of last year is when I booked this. Holy cow. And the cabin I wanted was already sold. So, mm. so yeah. Could I pet or hold a penguin? Hmm. Not in Antarctica. Um, you can't, you're, you're not allowed to interact with the creatures down there at all. Uh, I don't know what the policies are in the other places. It's possible that there might be a place where you could hold or pet a penguin. Um, I know, you know where you can do that. Honestly, you can do that in Chicago. 
we just did that actually the uh, adler planetarium has a program where you can go early in the morning not the adler planetarium next door the shed aquarium has a program where you can go early in the morning and and sit and have your picture taken with a penguin and pet him and he'll poop all over you and it's not the best thing in the world but but jen liked it <laughs> i i i took pictures and i'm like yeah it's okay you touch the penguin i'm gonna be sitting over here because i've seen what they can do <laughs> Uh, baby sharks, yeah, you can you can pet all the ones you can catch. Absolutely. Yeah, there you go. My mother was bitten by a penguin. Um, have you ever seen the mouth of a penguin? Uh, let's see if I can find a good example. Penguins are um, penguins are a little bit horrifying. Um, let's see. Oh, I lost you guys. Where are you? Uh, all right. We'll close that window, close that window, close that window. Wow. There's a lot of windows here. Hey, look, it's big Rob. <laughs> uh, okay. Where'd you guys go? Oh, there you are. Okay. Whew. Here you go. Oh, thank you. Google. Oh, whatever. Is that even going to work? Why does every URL have to be a novel? Anyway, you can just Google penguin mouth. That's not going to work. Oh. <sighs> Oh, interesting. Mark says it might be cheaper to fly to Santiago and then to BA. It could be. I mean, there's there's kind of games you can play, but time is also a factor. You know, you'd have to probably spend the night in Santiago. But um, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's too early. We're talking about 2025 here, but there might be games you can play. That's the thing, though, about a cruise, at least from Buenos Aires, it's going to be much easier to get to Buenos Aires than Ushuaia. I couldn't find any um, U.S.-based airlines that flew directly to Ushuaia or, or at all. You know, I was hoping that maybe I could do like Delta from Atlanta to Buenos Aires and then to Ushuaia. But no, I had to book through uh, the Argentinian airline and their website kind of sort of does English. And I oh maybe can pick up a couple of words in Spanish. And then there was the conversion rates and Buenos Aires is notorious for having absolutely bizarre conversions where you can get three times as much money depending on how you do it. It's easier just to go to Buenos Aires. And then go from there. It is. All right. Any questions about Antarctica or the Panama Canal? Or I will start yapping about Salem because I've got some ideas for things we could do there. Well, you know, so my dad just said big pre-party at Mark and Oaks prior. So Mark and Oak have traveled with us for a long time. We know them well. Um, I have a, a case full of gems <laughs> that they are directly associated with. And um, yeah, uh, they have space for us and lots of dogs. So it's not impossible. We could coordinate and do like a little trip over to Chile and visit with the dogs. <laughs> that is not impossible. Oh, let me see. Jeffrey, our plans for a trip led by you for next year. We have to put in vacation with Midsummer. Okay. So that's a question about Salem. So Joe, um, I am looking at doing a trip to Salem, Massachusetts next year, either in June or September. And unfortunately, I don't have dates. Um, those months I pick particularly because I want to be there when the temperatures aren't terrible and when there aren't 8 million kids. <laughs> so I also don't want to deal with October because my Salem is not 
Haunted Happenings. That is not my experience of Salem. Haunted Happenings, where the entire town becomes Halloween Town, was not a thing uh, when I was a kid. Now, I grew up in Salem. I've taken courses on the history of Salem. I went to school in Danvers, which most of you would pronounce Danvers, which is actually Salem Village, which is where the witches lived. Um, there's a lot of unusual stuff there that the tourists don't get to see. I would take us there, take us to the Rebecca nurse home, take us to some of the old homesteads. I would give you a tour of the history of Salem, including all the amazing firsts that happened there. The first elephant in the United States was in Salem. The first millionaire in the United States was in Salem. The first phone call, the first commercial phone call anyway, took place in Salem, Massachusetts. Salem was a much bigger deal in the history of the United States than it's given credit for because it's overshadowed by this horrible couple of years of Puritan fear and greed and all this horrible stuff that went on during what we call the witch hysteria. Uh, I will take you to where the witches were hanged, which is recently discovered. Um, when I was a kid, we thought it was on gallows Hill where there's this big water tower. <laughs> it's called gallows Hill, but uh, no, it turns out it's actually in someone's backyard uh, on top of a CVS. I, we'll, we'll talk about that. Joe for length, this trip would be, kind of loose. You could come and go as you wanted. I would publish a schedule saying that I'm going to be here on these dates and here's what we're going to do each of those dates. So it could be a week. It could be five days, but it would, at most, it would be a week at, at most. There's tons to do in New England. This could be a jumping off point for a larger trip. I mean, you could spend months seeing stuff in New England. Uh, New England is underrated as a tourist destination, in my opinion. Oh, well, if you're only two hours south, come up and pet a penguin. <laughs> um, yeah, Wild Hair says that she's only two hours south here. Uh, where? So I have property two hours south. Where are you two hours south? At the time, the lag is, is terrible. But um, yeah, I, if you have, I, I have this place I call Tiki Bago Land that is in LaSalle County. It's actually in LaSalle Township which is uh, I thirty where I-39 and I-80 meet, basically. All right, well, this 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 lag time thing is, is very strange. So uh, other things I would do in Salem is uh, take you to investigate some local food. Um, New England has its own local cuisine, Salem especially. Maybe we'll go to Doobies. <laughs> My dad is, is probably the only one here who knows what Doobies is, but Doobies is one of the very few restaurants that's still open from when I was a kid. They, and they serve fried food, but it's it's really good. <laughs> All right, let me see. I've missed some stuff here. Um, oh, yeah. Well, Chicago traffic, I totally understand because uh, <laughs> I live in it. I, I live in Lincoln Park. <laughs> if you look at the map, you'll see this big ring of red in the traffic map. Yeah, I'm in the middle of that. <laughs> Oh, yeah, Joe. So next, yeah, it's going to be a short, less expensive trip because Antarctica is so expensive. And I will probably do another less expensive trip in 2025 for the people who don't go to Antarctica because I'm expecting a smaller group for that. I love the idea of touring Fallout 4 locations. Uh, if you are familiar with this game, Fallout 4, it took place in Boston, and it was much more accurate than you might think. I actually did a Fallout New Vegas tour 
years ago with my kids, and it was amazing how much detail in the game was actually real, right down to the cemetery at the very beginning of the game that was near a bar. Those were identical and actually real, right down to some of the tombstones. Uh, that, the Fallout series is actually pretty cool in that way. And I know that, and I think it was you, uh, Matt, who said that when you went to DC, you knew how the Metro worked because you had played the game and the Metro stations are accurate. <laughs> yeah, there you go. You see, yeah, right, from Fallout 3. Yeah, so, oh, drink packages. Yeah, it was, uh, okay. Yes. So Jessica's question is, when you get a drink package, now, time out. Some people have never been on a cruise before. When you go on a cruise, they have lots of bars. <laughs> in fact, if you're walking around without a drink in your hand, there's going to be somebody there trying to put one in it, okay? And on Royal Caribbean, which is the line we're using to go to the Panama Canal, our upcoming trip in November, uh, drinks are not included. No alcohol is included with the fare. So you have to buy your own drinks. And then when you buy a drink at a set price, like a beer is $8. I don't, I'd hope they wouldn't charge $8 for hams, but they might. Uh, there's an 18% gratuity added to that. So if it's eight bucks then they add a dollar 60 to that and it's nine 60 for the beer. Okay. But they also have these things called drink packages that you can buy and they're not like a bucket of beer. They're like all you can drink and they're super expensive. Um, I think the math works out to somewhere about six drinks a day is how much you have six cocktails a day is how much you have to drink to make it worth it to get the drink package. But the question is, are gratuities included in that? And the answer is yes. They charge 18% on top of the cost of the drink package to cover the tips. So if you have the drink package, the way it works is you order your drink and you flash your card and your card has a symbol or something on it that tells the bartender that you are part of the drink package. And then they just bring you the drink and that's it. You don't have to sign paper. Usually, sometimes they do, but usually you don't. And there's no on top of that gratuity. However, I have been following a lot of the cruise forums and there is this new thing that started and I don't even know how to think about this. People have started tipping on top of the included gratuities everywhere on the ship. And to me, this causes a big problem. So in the old days of cruising, you would be expected to tip your stateroom attendant and your dining room staff in cash at the end of the cruise. They would even give you envelopes. But then some people started stiffing the stiffing the bartenders and there were there was a lot of problems with that where people just weren't being honest about it so the cruise line started including it as part of their contract negotiations with the crew and you will see this now they're called gratuities or service charges depending on which cruise line you're on and on this cruise uh the panama canal cruise i think it's 1650 16 $16.50 per person per day that you will be charged on your shipboard account to cover the tips for the stateroom attendant and the dining staff on the entire ship. Okay, to me, that seems like a fairly fair deal. And then, customarily, if somebody went above and beyond, like if every time you sat at a bar, they put your favorite drink down because they remembered you, you would give them a tip on top of that, you know, give them a couple bucks or whatever. Unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on your perspective, a new tipping culture is forming on these ships where people are paying the service charge and the gratuities and then also paying the old-fashioned tips. So if somebody orders a beer, they will pay that 18% gratuity and then also give them a couple of bucks, which is like another 25% on top of that. 
And that doesn't bother me as much as the people who are giving their stateroom attendants $10 or $15 per day in additional tips. This is great for the crew, and I certainly do not begrudge them any money they make, but it's creating this enormous dichotomy in people who tip. I mean, people who follow the letter of the law and say your gratuities are paid for are now going to be looked at as cheapskates because you have these other people who are paying tons of money in tips. It's, it's just confusing. Tipping is used to be pretty easy to understand on cruises, but now it's, it's weird. So my recommendation is going to stay the same, which is, yes, you're going to pay your service charges. And then for excellent service, you can give a little bit of cash at the end of the cruise. I will typically leave some cash for the stateroom attendant and sometimes for a bartender, or I have uh, tipped a maitre d' who helped me sort out a particular difficult problem. That's what I'm going to stick with. So you may see recommendations that you, on top of your gratuities, pay your stateroom attendant another $10 a day, which in the case of this cruise would be $140. I just don't think that's the social contract. I don't think that's how it's going to work. So, uh, yeah, I'm sticking with my regular recommendation. Oh, Bloomington. Yeah, okay, cool. Normal, normal. All right. Uh, Wild Hair is near Normal, uh, Illinois. Does anybody know why it's called Normal, Illinois? It, there's a, a very good answer for it. It wasn't chosen at random. And uh, I'll give you 10 points if you can tell me why it's called Normal, Illinois. And for those of you using Google right now, it's okay. It's just kind of cheating. Yeah. Big Rob mentions that the price of drinks has gone up on Carnival. Yes, the price of everything's gone up on cruises right now. They are trying to recoup all the money they lost from COVID, and everything's more expensive. Shore excursions, cruise fares, everything is more expensive. And also on Royal Caribbean, you are going to see a lot more nickel and diming where they're trying to get money out of you for things. For example, the dining room, the, the main dining room that's included, everyone gets to go to the main dining room. When you open the menu, you're going to see upcharge items. Like, oh, would you like a filet mignon with your meal? Well, click here. We'll give you another twenty bucks. Uh, charge you another twenty dollars for a filet mignon rather than the included New York strip kind of a thing. I don't like it. I get it, but I don't like it. I, I much more like the all-inclusive way of doing things. But right now, this is what we got. Yeah, and the, I, I agree with Joe there, Joe Wag. Uh, I give my room attendant twenty bucks a week if they do good service and. Spoiler alert, you don't get service twice a day anymore. You will get to choose, from what I've been told, you will get to choose morning service or evening service, but they will not be servicing your room twice a day like they used to. What happened is during COVID, they laid off all these folks. And they didn't come back. Um, all these people got laid off. COVID happened. You know, death tolls were terrible in the U.S., but they were much worse in some of the countries that, where the crew comes from. And when the cruise line said, okay, we're back, come back, not everybody came back. So cruise lines are having a terrible staffing shortage now. So this is their solution for it. They've made it so that the staff makes a lot more money and has actually more work. <laughs> Even though we're getting half the service we used to, they have less than half the stateroom attendants they used to. So the stateroom attendants are actually working harder, but they're making more money. And it's, it's complex. It's capitalism run amok, and that's the way it is. Yeah, nickel and dime. Oh, hi, Gingy. Yes, nickel and dime is exactly how it is. Hello, Pat. 
Yeah. And Mark, I agree. I, the whole U S tipping culture is insane to begin with. Other countries do it much better. We're like, we pay our staff a living wage. Here's the price of the bill. And heck, if we did a good job, give us a couple bucks. I think that's much more appropriate than, yeah, you spent $100 on your meal. And if you don't leave a $20 bill for the server, they still have to pay taxes on that. And they don't actually get the money. You know, I, yeah, I don't, I don't want to go on a rant. I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have a sip of my beer. I'm going to calm down now. And then... Um, for those of you who have never cruised before, Big Rob is talking about Carnival in the chat. Um, my dad and I have agreed that we do not sell Carnival cruises. If you come to us and say that you want to go on Carnival, we will direct you to Carnival.com. We don't want to have anything to do with them. We will sometimes associate with their other brands because they own everything. Um, they own Holland America. They own Canard. They own P&O. They own Princess. Uh, they own so many different cruise lines that basically... More than half of the cruise lines we would have to not deal with. And there are different flavors among the Carnival brand. Carnival has had an influence on all of them, and it has been a negative influence, but there is a distinct difference between a Carnival cruise and a Holland America cruise. They're not the same thing. They have totally different people that go on them, different itineraries, and different mood, I'll say, on board. Yeah, Rob, the same thing. I used to be a bellman at a hotel in Salt Lake City, and we'd have international people come there all the time, and they didn't understand tipping. Um, I had an entire bus of people come from China, and I picked them up at the airport, took them to the hotel, and then after a week, picked them up at the hotel and took them back to the airport, and their tip was a ceramic thing. Um, it was kind of shaped like a person and it had a head on a spring and then these little ring, these little circle things on springs. And at the time I was annoyed <laughs> because that was normally at least 50 to $75 in tips. But you know, a year later I was like, well, that 50 or 75 bucks would have just melted away. I wouldn't notice it, but I still have this very strange thing <laughs> and I don't have it anymore. I don't know where it is now, but, uh, Honestly, I, I don't understand uh, how anybody comes to the U.S. and understands tips. It doesn't make any sense. We all have these unwritten rules, and they're, they're inconsistent. They don't match, you know? I will go get my hair cut, and I go to cheap places. I go to, like, Supercuts or someplace like that, and I'll sit there, and all that everybody tips is completely apparent to everybody. And some people tip a lot. I tend to tip a lot for my hair person because they didn't kill me. I'm appreciative of that. But other people give them a buck. Or, oh, it was a $20 haircut. So let's see, 20% is $4. You know, it, it's all over the place. And I feel bad for anybody who has to work for tips. I mean, sometimes you can make a lot of money doing it, but you just never know. Whew. Oh, so Irena is asking about private excursions we're going to do in Panama Canoes. That is on my to-do list. I have done some initial research. And what I'm looking at doing, and this is not official, so I'm looking at renting a bus for 16 people in Costa Rica for those people who want to do something a little different in Costa Rica. And I'm looking at doing a private excursion that's, it's, it's technically a shopping tour, but it's in Watulco, which is in Oaxaca. And it'll be a cultural shopping tour. It'll be like shopping, it'll be like South American shopping in the 70s not Diamonds International, and come get your charm bracelet. It's free, and if you bring your cruise card, it's not that. It will be more of a cultural experience. Yeah, it's going to be a tourist trap, but it'll be at least an interesting one. And just getting out of the port area and into Oaxaca is beautiful. So we'll see about that. 
Hello, sir. Welcome from Australia. What the heck time is it in Australia right now? Computer, what time is it in Australia? It's 8.47 a.m. in Sydney. So I hope you're in Sydney. <laughs> oh, geez. That's interesting, Joe. Uh, I, I heard about Casa Bonita being bought by uh, the South Park guys. Uh, actually, I have interesting stories about them. I, I actually got to meet them once at the, the conference, uh, the, the amazing meeting that James Randi, right here, James Randi used to put on, uh, James the Amazing Randi used to put on conference every year in Las Vegas, and they came once as speakers. <sighs> All right, so no one knows why it's called Normal Illinois. Well, I once did a tour, tour a trip, an excursion um, down Route 66 in Illinois. And we went from the very start of Route 66, which is at the Art Institute in downtown Chicago, all the way to the old end of Route 66, which is the Chain of Rocks Bridge. And that crosses between Illinois and Missouri. And it's actually where they filmed Escape from L.A. I'm sorry, Escape from New York, if you can believe it. The bridge from Escape from New York actually crossed the Mississippi in southern Illinois. But uh, interesting place to go. The bridge is very strange. There was a horrific murder there years ago. However... Um, normal Illinois is, is near enough to route 66. There was like, why did they call it normal? And, uh, one of my favorite bands, big country actually has a song called normal Illinois. Well, the answer is because there used to be a school there and it was called a normal school. And back in the day, a normal school was a school that taught teachers. So if you went to the normal school, you were going to a school that taught teachers. And the big school for that was in normal Illinois and uh, whatever they called it then. And then finally, they just started saying, I'm going to normal. And that became the name of the town. And it was usually when the post office opened, that's when they actually had to physically name the place. And often that was done in duress. <laughs> they were like, no, we need a name now. And there'd be some guy like, I don't know, uh, there's a school here, call it that. And Or they would name it after some executive in the railroad industry or something. But anyway, that's normal Illinois got its name from the school. Oh, Matt and Trey, never met those guys. Oh, Casa Benita. Yeah, I, I actually did a little trip there a couple of years ago. It was uh, not good food. <laughs> Although Hal, Hal Bidlack went to Casa Benita with me didn't enjoy the Casa Bonita experience, but really enjoyed the food. <laughs> so if you're coming on the Panama Canal cruise, feel free to mention that he is the one person who likes Casa Bonita food. <laughs> wow. So, so Allegro Soto here is, is in Australia and he's got his diesel heater on right now. I mean, just as a matter of perspective. And that's why going to Antarctica in February makes sense because that is the height of summer <laughs> down there. And it's going to be not even below freezing much of the time. It, it, it's a, it, yeah, it's so weird. So I went down there in November, uh, which was early and I dealt with snow. I mean, we, when we got off, we had deep, deep snow we had to deal with. And it was a bit of a problem because when we made steps, we'd sink in the snow and we were told that penguins would fall in those holes and die. <laughs> so as we walked, we had to fill in the holes so the penguins wouldn't die. And then I saw pictures from the same trip we took two months later and there was no snow at all. It was just rock. So uh, that was interesting. Uh, you know, Antarctica is a little bit like Galapagos in that if you go at different times, it's a completely different place. All right, let's see. 
Yeah. Uh, so working on a cruise ship is very difficult if you're an American. I tried. They really don't want to hire Americans. You basically have to be in the entertainment staff on a contract. Like a, a, it's a different kind of contract. And you're better off being a Canadian than American. And the reason is they're an American corporation. Despite everyone saying, oh, the cruise ships aren't even flagged here. That's a whole separate thing. All these big cruise lines are in Miami. And uh, they have to pay taxes who, for American employees. So that's why. Mark. Oh, hi, Mark. I don't know. Uh, th did the normal Illinois school become part of it? You know, Beth would know more about that than me. I, I honestly don't know. Ah, oh, Lewis from England. Very nice to meet you. Tell us an interesting story from when you've traveled in Europe. <laughs> All right. Wow. Um, my European travel was mostly done as a lad. <laughs> My parents took me down, um, all right, this is a longer story. Uh, Joe Wag, if you're still here, what was that airline that had that crazy airfare? Uh, but basically an airline had this crazy airfare. It was like $99 to go to Europe and then like $149 to come back. Um, so he said, let's go. And we all got packed up and went to Amsterdam. We flew to Sheephole. Uh, I've heard I pronounced that. That's another on my list of words I pronounced wrong, by the way. Uh, and we drove around, uh, well, we went through Belgium and went to Germany and Switzerland and France. And then we went back to Sheephole and we were told that um, they don't have any flights home. <laughs> so we were stuck over there. Oh, was that Pan Am? So that was Pan American. So we were stuck over there. And uh, my dad, being the resourceful travel guy that he is, he stuck us on a boat and we, we went to from Hook Van Holland to Southampton, I guess. I don't know where we ended up, but in um, basically London's port and went to London for a few days and then flew home from there on British Airways, which was super fancy. Um, but that, I don't know, let me think of a story. Um, boy, there's so many stories because I've been there a few times since then. What's a good story about? Well, let's see. Let me pick a story about the UK. Um, I've only been, I haven't been to the UK since 1985, but I've been there twice. Hotch, Hotch, yes. I, I don't, I'm probably pronouncing that wrong. Uh, Lewis, how do you pronounce Harwich? Because <laughs> I know it's not Harwich. It's Harch. It's something like that. Um. All right, I don't have a good UK story. Boy, that's hard. I'm usually pretty good at coming up with stories. But the UK... Oh, all right, I'll, I'll just tell you a little bit of story. Uh, I'm going to tell you... I, I, I don't have a UK story. I'm going to tell you a little story about Denmark. So um, after the Scandinavian cruise, I took a bunch of folks to Copenhagen, and we just did Copenhagen for a couple of days. Went to Tivoli and did all that stuff. But uh, one day we decided to tour the castles. So a, a big part of going to Denmark is going in these castle tours. And uh, I was a little disappointed because each castle is worth a whole day, in my opinion. And we did like three of them. And one of the castles we went to is the castle from Hamlet. Now, I don't know that Shakespeare ever made it to Denmark, but he certainly wrote a play about it. <laughs> and as we went from room to room in this, in, in, Hamlet's castle, as they called it, they were performing scenes from Hamlet. So in every room, there'd be actors performing Hamlet in English as you toured the castle. It was a very unusual moment. And then we ended up in the dungeon because it's a castle, right? It's going to have a dungeon. And we're walking around down there and like, oh, you can see this room where they used to keep the prisoners and stuff. And I'm like, tour guides lie 
and this is a this is a truth. And I'm sorry, Mark, if this offends you, because I don't think you're one of them. But tour guides lie. <laughs> they lie. They're entertainers. They're not historians. They're not educators. They're entertainers. And this guy knew that if we didn't show him where they kept the bodies in the dungeon, we'd be disappointed. It was all for storage. It was plainly obvious <laughs> that all these rooms were just for storage. But no, 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 we got to have a dungeon. And, uh, you know, at least they didn't put in all the fake torture devices. If you've ever, ever been to one of those medieval torture device museums, they're not real. The, the, none of those are real. That's all stuff that was made up probably in the Victorian era just to get tourists to come in. Sorry to disappoint you that thumb screws and the rack probably weren't real things. Oh, thank you very much, Valorium Camper. I appreciate you coming. Um, I'm happy to answer van life questions too. I know we've been talking about trips a lot here uh, because I, I've, I, I, am, I am schizoid. I have different communities that I'm touched with and they overlap sort of, but not really. So if you get a van life question, I'm happy to talk about what's, what gauge wire you want to use to hook up your lithium batteries. <laughs> There's, um, so here's another story. If you're sick of me telling stories, well, you can leave, you know. Um, if you see these bricks behind me, these bricks actually have a story. Now, if you look behind me right here, you can see there's a window. There was a window, and now it's bricked up. This building that I'm in is the Sausage Murder Factory. <laughs> and tours in Chicago, ghost tours, stop here and tell the story about this man named Lutgert. Lutgert was a sausage maker of German origin, and he got the contract to make all the sausages at the Columbian Exposition, the World's Fair of 1893, the White City. You may have heard of the book, The Devil in the White City. Same thing, although I don't think Lutgert is in that book. Anyway, Lutgert made all this money from this incredibly successful exposition, and he decided he wanted to build the world's biggest sausage factory with it. And here I sit. I'm in his sausage factory. I'm technically in the warehouse. There was a big warehouse and a factory. So Lutgert had a wife and the wife was a little bit more frugal than he was. And he, she realized that if he spent all his money on the factory, which he did, he wouldn't have any money left for operating costs or inventory or anything like that. And a year after he opened the factory, he had no money. He had to shut the factory down and he started wooing a rich widow. You know, because that's what you do when you're out of money, I guess. His wife was not happy with this. And to hear Lutgert tell the story, she got so enraged one night that she just left. And he thought maybe she was working out in the, the wilderness of southern Illinois or something. But her family came by and was like, nah, she wouldn't do that. And uh, long story short... Uh, he killed her in one of the apartments, which was his office. It's actually apartment 118 in this building. I don't know if the people live there actually know that that's where the murder took place uh, and took her into the basement, chopped her up and put her into one of the sausage vats and then dissolved her body with lye and other things and then poured her down the drain. But there were still some chunks left. So he took them out and kind of sprinkled them around the lawn, which is now our parking lot. And um, as horrific as all that is, uh, she did not get turned into sausages, as they say on the tour, because um, that's what people want to hear. But there was an actually much more interesting part of the story, which is that it was the very first time in the United States that someone had been prosecuted for a murder and there was no body. 
the way they did that was they found some bones and they actually called an anthropologist from the field museum, which was a new institution back then to come and identify the bones. And he identified them as female human toe bones, which nowadays we think is probably not possible. He, he probably did not have the expertise to be able to do that. But ultimately, it was enough to convict Lutgert, and off to Joliet Prison he went, and uh, he ended up dying in, in jail. So, yeah, I live in his factory, and that's one of the, that was the outside window of his factory. The building's been expanded considerably since. But um, he was the Sausage King of Chicago. The, if you've ever seen Ferris Bueller and they make fun of the Sausage King of Chicago, no, it was actually Lutgert. He was the Sausage King, and the name of the building I'm in is Regal Condominiums, as a little subtle nod to King Lutgert. Yes, Sweeney Todd, exactly. All right, I missed some questions here. Uh, oh, thank you, Lewis. I appreciate the compliment there. On the Salem trip, what will Van... Ah, let's talk about van parking on the Salem trip. So this is New England, right? So it's old, streets are narrow, parking's a pain in the butt. So there are a few ways to do this. One way, and what I'm going to try to do, it might be challenging, is to get some of us to stay at Winter Island. Winter Island is a former PBY base. It was It's an old fort site from even the 1600s. And I'll show you guys a fort from the 1600s. There's a Fort Lee is not far from there. And I, I know where it is, but like nobody who lives in Salem knows where Fort Lee is. And um, they turned this island into a campground. And there are very inexpensive parking places there where you just simply park. And uh, it, it, it turns out to be boondocking, but we don't care. We're in our vans. And you have these beautiful views of the water and you're in Salem. So that's my goal. As far as stealth camping, I will do some research. Um, New England is not the most easy place to stealth camp. I mean, yes, there's a Walmart and no, you can't camp there. <laughs> but uh, I will have a plan. But ultimately, you're going to be on your own. And if you get the knock, I'm sorry. Unless you've paid for a campground, there's not much I can do about that. But I will have a plan. Oh, let's see. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, you know, it's a legend, right? I mean, um, Dunderbeck, remember Dunderbeck, the song Dunderbeck's Machine? I mean, the idea of turning people into sausages has been around a long time. And, well, Lutgert didn't get quite that far, but he did make his wife disappear. Part of the legend, too, is that they found her wedding ring in the vat. Um, okay, gold would probably not dissolve in lye. I get that part. But you'd think the guy would be smart enough to to take the ring out. I mean, I mean, it's a big vat we're talking about here. These things are enormous. In fact, our storage unit, you know, we have those little cages down there. It's right where the vat was <laughs> and the drains are still there. It is super creepy in the basement of this building. There's no elevator down there. You have to take these long stairs and this building burned down. Well, it didn't burn down. It burned up. It burned in like 1902. And when you go down in the basement, uh, the wood timbers that hold up the building are still there, and you can still see that they're all burnt. In fact, uh, well, I don't know if you can see here, but this wood here, this this whole building is timber frame. It's it's all made out of Wisconsin wood, and uh, the brick walls are this wide, and the floors are held up with these big timbers. It's it's kind of a cool building, but uh, but anyway, yeah, that's where I live. <laughs> Yeah, we'll have some sausages in Salem. Um, now, it's, you know, my, my experience of Salem, I, growing up there, I grew up in Witchcraft Heights. I went to Witchcraft Heights Elementary School. And the witch stuff was not the way it is now. Um, Hocus Pocus, the movie hadn't come out. Um, 
the they kind of downplayed it. I mean, not entirely, right? The masthead of the paper had a witch flying across a moon, the Salem Evening News. The high school football team was the Salem Witches. Uh, our school uniforms at Witchcraft Heights Elementary were orange and black. I mean, you know, we weren't hiding it. That neighborhoods in Witchcraft Heights have names like Cauldron Court and Witch Way. <laughs> you get it. Um, but there wasn't this insanity that there is now psychics on every corner and witch shops and all that the witch shop there was one it was Lori cabot the official witch of salem and she had a shop called uh crow raven corner raven something like that i don't remember that was it that's all there was and most of us just made fun of her and thought she was silly because salem's history is so much bigger than that i mean the nautical history in salem alone is, is enormous. Salem was supposed to be the capital of Massachusetts. And when Governor Winthrop came over, he went to Salem first, but his son went out in what's called the North River and went fishing and drowned. And Governor Winthrop was so devastated by this that he said, see ya, and he went to Boston. No, actually went to Charlestown first, and then he went to Boston. Anyway, uh, which way? Yes. Garth Brooks Boulevard? Seriously? <laughs> I mean, Okay. <laughs> I mean, I guess it's, it's, is Garth Brooks from Oklahoma? I barely know who Garth Brooks is. I just know he dresses like me. <laughs> Maybe not with a white shirt. I don't, I don't have a hat. Uh, and he sings about having friends in low places. And that's, that's my entirety of information about Garth Brooks. <laughs> Ow, that sounds very painful there, wild hair. Wow. Interesting. Oh, Peabody Essex Museum. So um, going back a step. On the Salem trip, uh, we will be spending an entire day at the Peabody Essex Museum. I'm saying Peabody, okay? There is a town next to Salem that is spelled P-E-A-B-O-D-Y. And those words are P and body. And when you put them together, it's Peabody. I didn't make the rules. That's how it's pronounced. So if you're going to pronounce things the way the locals do, you're going to say Peabody. If you say Peabody, we're going to know you're not from there. Okay. So Peabody uh, Essex Museum is a combination. These were separate museums when I was a kid. There was the Essex Institute, an historical society that will, goes way back in history. And then there was the Peabody Museum, which was started by sea captains. And it was basically a cabinet of curiosities. And all these sea captains would bring the weird things they found. And then the cabinet grew bigger and bigger and became an old building. Well, economics and changing tastes and stuff have merged these two. And it's now a world-class museum with some amazing things in it. Uh, one of the things that's in there is a Chinese house in its entirety, completely preserved from the 1950s. And this is a multi-generational house. It probably has 10 bedrooms. And the entire thing is in the middle of the museum and you can tour it. It's amazing. Yes, Peabody in Sherman is fine. Peabody in Sherman doesn't work. That doesn't work. Um, is, I don't know of an annual production of The Crucible, but there probably should be. However, Salem has made an effort, because it probably as a response to Haunted Happenings, which is the name for all the Halloween-y stuff, uh, to address the fact that there were a lot of people killed here. I mean, you had 19 people hanged, one person crushed to death, and then another 150 died in prison. They don't mention that. There was a lot of people, and there was a lot of people. I mean, the population back then was nothing. So that was a sizable bit of the population. And if you look at a map of the accused versus the accusers, 
you will see that there is a geographic reason for it. And the reason is that the if someone was accused of being a witch, they would have to give up their land. And the accusers were well aware of this. And sometimes they really wanted that land and that would make it available to them. It's, it's, it's a horrible story of, of credulity, corruption, greed, just like any other story. It's, it's kind of sad. But anyway, I love the Peabody Museum. Unfortunately, is not as much of a cabinet of curiosities as it once was. It's now, they have fine art there, uh, but it's fine. But I do have a story about uh, the museum, actually. Um, when my wife and I were dating way back in 2010, I took her to Salem and we went to the Peabody Museum and I, I showed her the, you know, the Chinese house and stuff. And they had a traveling exhibit about cruise ships. I was like, ha good timing. So she puts up with me and we're walking around looking at all this stuff and I'm pointing out all these minute details about things she does not care at all about, which I understand. But then we get to this room and in this room is a toy steering wheel of a ship, you know, and I put my hand on that steering wheel and I had put my hand on that steering wheel before. And the time I had put my hand on that steering wheel before was in September of 1973 because it was the kids bridge, the control center for the ship that they duplicated on the SS Canberra. It was in the kids area when I was on that ship. And that was my very first cruise in 1973 Never in a million years did I think that I would see that particular item again. But there it was in my hometown where I grew up some 40 years later. Uh, I, stunning. Just an incredible coincidence. And I remembered it perfectly. So, uh, you know, stuff like that happens sometimes. But anyway, Peabody Museum is great. We will definitely, definitely go there. We'll also go to Salem Willows, which is not what it used to be, but it has an interesting history. I'll talk about that and we'll go to Salem Willows and we will have wintergreen popcorn bars, which may sound not very good, but I promise you they are good and they're interesting. We will not be having chop suey sandwiches, unfortunately, because they don't make them anymore, but I will tell you why chop suey sandwiches are um, a thing. I will talk about the Reed family fund picnic, which is also not a thing. We'll talk about the sanitariums that used to be out there, which are also not things, but we will talk about the willows <laughs> that are there. I, honestly, there's so much to see. Um, I, I think Salem is kind of amazing. Yes, Concord, 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 Mass, Concord, North Carolina. So uh, there will be some sort of a fee to attend the tour. So this, this is, because it's not a cruise, the way I'm going to do this is basically you guys are going to pay my expenses. <laughs> That's it. Okay. So, uh, it's going to cost me money to do the tour and get out there and stuff. And I will probably have things to hand out. So you guys are going to pay for that. It's not going to be a lot of money and then you'll pay your own expenses. So you'll pay your own admission to the museums, unless I can get a group discount or something, you know, we'll sort that out. You'll pay for your own meals and that kind of a thing. That's how I like to do these trips because I, money gets really complicated really fast. And, uh, sadly, every time I do one of these trips, I end up holding the bag for somebody that doesn't pay. I don't know why. Um, I know a lot, like sometimes I'll organize like taxis for folks at the end of a cruise and I never get paid or I don't not never get paid, but I often don't get paid. So uh, I can't just do that very long. Lobster rolls. We can have lobster rolls. Um, the things have changed there. I mean, lobster and seafood used to be very inexpensive. It is now very expensive. 
you can have a lobster roll. We could go up to the Clam Shack in Ipswich, which is a, an, a famous location, but you will have to expect to pay at least 25 bucks for a uh, lobster roll. Or we could go to Kelly's down on Revere Beach. That's R-E-V-E-R-E, Revere, named after Paul Revere, hometown of Stephen King, believe it or not. And um, we can have lobster rolls there. Yeah, you know, Allegro, th this happens all the time. I have another story like that. Um, I used to be a volunteer with an organization called Team Rubicon, and we are a, or we were, I'm not involved with them anymore, but we were a group of volunteer first responders who would show up after a storm or whatever and help clean up and that kind of a thing and cut down trees, you know, whatever was needed. And we responded in a big way to the Bahamas after a hurricane a few years ago, uh, it wiped out the Bahamas. And um, a bunch of us went to Abaco, which is an island in in the Bahamas, uh, you know, Nassau being the capital is on an island called New Providence. Abaco is another island in the chain. It's a bunch of islands. And um, we did our thing, you know, but the government refused to let us go in certain places. Like military in the streets refused to let us go there. And we're there at their permission. You know, uh, we have to be invited into these places. We don't, we're not invading. Well, we found out after that those were the communities that the Haitians lived in and the government wanted them to suffer and leave or just die. They basically just wanted them gone at any way. So we were not even allowed to give them water or anything. They were just kind of kept in their destroyed communities so that they would find a way not to be there anymore. And their real estate or whatever they had there could actually be taken over by the government or other real estate speculators. So that stuff continues to go on. And, and yes, Colin, my glasses are blue. In fact, I've got, I've got another pair that are also blue. <laughs> yeah. But that seems to be a thing. Blue, blue glasses. Look, I've got a matching, uh, matching watch band. I mean, I'm fancy. Yeah. Oklahoma. I mean, yeah, you're definitely, <laughs> I have been to Tulsa. Uh, I have been to, uh, uh, black wall street. Um, yeah, this is, a. Uh, any, any place that is proud of their history and looks up down upon another place's history hasn't learned enough about its history because uh, it's all bad. <laughs> it's basically all bad. <laughs> uh, and that leads me to another story that I'll have to tell you if no one asks any questions. Um, yeah, so, so Irena, $35 lobster roll. It, it doesn't surprise me at all. Um, it, lobster has gotten crazy expensive. You know, a snow crab, um, they canceled the snow crab season this year. So deadliest catch, there wouldn't be one this year because they canceled because there are no crabs there. They estimate that over a billion crabs are missing. Like they just aren't there anymore. Uh, part of climate change. I don't know. Overfishing. I don't know, but, uh, yeah, this is not a good year for crabs. Panama canal. You want to talk about Panama Canal? Uh, oh, are you talking about land grabs? <laughs> yeah, so on the Panama Canal cruise, we are going to, the, the cruise line is going to do something about the history of the Panama Canal. We will also do something. It's a complex history. Um, if nobody volunteers to actually do it, I will actually do a talk on it, and then you can all Wikipedia it and tell me where I'm wrong, and that's fine, because that's educational. If you can tell me where I'm wrong, that means you learned something. I'm okay with that. <laughs> Yeah, and Pat was just in the Bay of Fundy, and he says the seafood's expensive there, too. Uh, 
my parents and my kids are coming with me on the same ship we're doing in Panama Canal on the cruise just before the Panama Canal cruise. We're going up to Canada. We're going to go to uh, St. Oh, God. I always do this. St. John's, New Brunswick. I think I got that right. St. John's. Yes. Um, and uh, Portland, Maine. And we will probably have some seafood, but I'm expecting it. It's St. John. Darn it. What is with all your saint places? <laughs> I can never get them straight. St. John, New Brunswick with an S-T, and S-A-I-N-T, John's, Newfoundland. Yeah, so you spelled it wrong though, right? No, it's S-A-I-N-T, John in New Brunswick. It's S-T, John's in Newfoundland. Uh, yeah, anyway, <laughs> we're going there. Uh, God, there's another story there. Um, if you guys don't ask questions, I'm just going to keep telling all these stories. But uh, the reason cruise ships go to... I already forgot. St. John's, St. New Brunswick John's, St. John's, New Brunswick. The reason cruise ships go there at all isn't because they have a long history of being a tourist place. It's because uh, the canard ship Queen Elizabeth II got in serious trouble in a storm and had no place to go. And they said, well, we've got a harbor that could hold her, bring her here. And the townspeople turned out and just treated them like royalty. I mean, they were on the queen Elizabeth too. And, um, that started the entire cruise industry there. And now all the Canada cruises go there because it's in a convenient place to stop. If you're heading up the coast of Canada. So I've been there a bunch of times and it's just this quaint little town that it's famous for its reversing falls. And you can take tours to the Bay of Fundy and see the 60 foot tides and things like that. But it's not a touristy place. It's kind of an odd place to go. So, uh, if you do go there, yes, Kelly wants to see moose. Uh, moose, this, uh, Panama canal trip, probably going to be a little difficult to see moose on this trip, on this particular trip. You should have come with us on the Alaska trip. That would have been a better place to see moose. Um, even, even honestly, <laughs> oh, you want to eat moose? Moose are good. I've eaten moose. Uh, I ate a roadkill moose in Vermont when I lived there. It's, it's very much like beef. I mean, it's not like venison at all. My wife and I went up to Mount Washington or that part of Maine. I mean, Mount Washington's in New Hampshire. After Mount Washington, we went up to Maine, and um, we actually did a a moose watching tour, very much like a whale watching tour, except it was for moose. <laughs> and we went out at night with big spotlights and kind of drove around the woods. And we finally, at the end, saw some moose. But in my yard in uh, Vermont, I used to live in Richmond, Vermont. We had moose in the yard a couple times, and they're dangerous. Moose are uh, are not an animal you want to mess with, and uh, they're big and stupid and if you see one leave it alone and if you've ever played the game long dark the long dark you know this moose are worse than the bears <laughs> well thank you very much for coming allegro i appreciate it and i will talk to you next wednesday i guess or thursday for you <laughs> yeah definitely colin uh, there's tons of space i mean if somebody if someone was doing a van life a van trip and wanted to come do my Salem thing and then head up north. Great time of year to do that. It might be a little bit buggy, but it won't be overcrowded yet. And you'll be able to find places to park. And when I go to Maine, I tend to park at trailheads. That's where I find the safe, free place to park, especially the Appalachian trail trailheads. They're far enough, far enough out there. And there's always cars there because people will do overnight hikes on the trail. And I've never had a problem. Aha. 
I see that we have some uh, Monty Python folks here, which does not surprise me at all. All right, did I miss any questions? I do like buffalo, I, I, buffalo being bison. So I went to Asia, and they had buffalo burgers, and I realized it was water buffalo, not bison. <laughs> Tasted good, too. All right, so there was a question. Uh, what was I going to talk about? Any questions about Panama Canal? I haven't talked very much about it. I mean, we talked about the ship, but I can talk more about the tour, uh, Cartagena, um, stuff like that. Yes, they do. Buffalo do have great wings. Buffalo, um, Buffalo, New York, where obviously Buffalo wings came from, um, they also had another culinary tradition called dirty hot dogs. Um, I don't know if anyone's heard of this, but they had this thing where they would cook a batch of hot dogs at once and the chef would take the hot dogs and stack them on his arm like that and then mix, you know, put all the stuff on them on his arm and then and hand them out like that. It was called dirty hot dogs. I'm sure it's illegal now. I'm sure that's against food handling rules, but, uh, you know, I could be wrong. All right. Need some questions. Ask me questions. It's hard because I'm the only one who can talk. You know, this is a very, a very artificial, strange environment. Is there anything else I should talk about? Let's see. We talked about Salem. Talked about Panama Canal a little bit. Augusta, Maine. Yeah, Augusta is lovely. I love it up there. How long is the Panama Canal trip? Okay, so Big Rob is not coming with us yet. I mean, Rob, you can come. We got some extra cabins. It's a it's a 14-night, 15-day trip. It leaves from Miami, and it ends up in Los Angeles. And if you go from the east to the west, your cruise is six hours longer than for the people doing it in reverse because you go through that many time zones. <laughs> so we have several 25-hour days on this trip. But... You start in Miami, and then you go around, and then you go to Cozumel, which is on the Yucatan Peninsula. And I can't show you a map, but you can imagine this little, it was possibly a meteor that hit the Earth, the Yucatan Peninsula. Uh, you go there. Cozumel's an island off of that. And then go to Grand Cayman. So we have to scoot under Cuba. And uh, that's where Grand Cayman is, and people are going to pet rays and stuff. And then we go into the canal. I'm sorry. No, I'm sorry. Then we go to Colombia. Colombia. South America and go to Cartagena, uh, which is not Cartagena, it's Cartagena. And uh, I love Cartagena. Cartagena is one of these big walled cities with the uh, garitas and uh, amazing history. So we're going to have a great time in Cartagena, one of my favorite places we're going. Then we go through the canal. It takes about 12 hours. We go through a number of locks. And then when we come out, we're going to go to Costa Rica, to a place called Punta Reynas, which is not the same as the Chile one, um, which is basically a tourist resort, but not for us. It's for the Costa Rican tourists. So that's an interesting thing. And you can take trips from there and go inland and do the monkeys and stuff. And then we're going to go up to Mexico into Oaxaca, very southern Mexico, and go to a place called Huatulco, which is a which was at one time sacked by Sir Francis Drake, also of the Drake Passage, which is the water between Antarctica and Ushuaia. <laughs> I will probably be talking about Sir Francis Drake a bit and his ship called the Cacafuego. And if you speak any Spanish at all, you know what that translates to. So, um, are there any activities planned in Miami on, oh wait, well, so what's the people that are not within driving distance of Salem have to rent a car? 
All right, well, let me go back up here and see if I get these. How long is Panama Canal? What stops they make? I covered that. How hot is it for hiking types and excursion in November? It's November, so it's not brutal, but it will be humid. And you should plan, well, you're from Atlanta. You should plan on walking through Atlanta. <laughs> It'll be like that. If you plan for that, it won't be too bad. My guess is going to be in the low 80s, but very humid. And when I looked at all the temperatures, that's what came up. You are going to gain some elevation. So that'll help a little bit, but, um, you know, you're going to wear shorts and a shirt and you'll probably bring something with you in case there's a breeze or something and you'll drink lots of water. You know what to do. You've traveled. Let's see. Uh, what did I miss? Okay. There's the hiking with those people that are not within driving distance of Salem have to rent a car. Maybe I have to figure that out. Um, it would be ideal if at least for a couple of the days we could get some sort of a shuttle bus. I don't know if it's going to be possible. I have rented buses in Boston before it's expensive and difficult, but it might be doable. A lot of what we can do in Salem is walkable from downtown. For example, there's a couple of hotels. Well, there's one hotel downtown. It's the Derby Hotel, old famous hotel. And uh, from there, you can walk to just about everything I've talked about. But we would need to drive to Danvers, Danvers, uh, to go to the Rebecca Nurse house, for example. So I haven't figured that out yet. But you're going to have to get to Salem somehow. So you got to figure that out. There is a train from Boston to Salem. That works. There is sometimes a ferry. There's actually a fast ferry that goes there too. And that, it, the ferry drops you off at the House of Seven Gables, which we will probably also go to because, you know, House of Seven Gables. I uh, actually had my wedding reception there, my first one. But uh, we'll see. Um, I will try to organize that as frugally as possible that maybe people agree to rent cars and they'll share that with other people and they'll help cover the expenses. Let's see, Grand Cayman, activities planned for Miami. So Miami, um, I'm basically going to let you guys decide what you're going to do because you're going to be there before me. I'm flying in the night before, but kind of late, and I'm going to have stuff to do. I always do. I, I remember the Alaska trip. I had all these plans to do stuff, like we were going to go to the tide pools and stuff, and then I got a call from Royal Caribbean, actually, that you were involved. It was a call about you, actually, <laughs> uh, that took up my entire afternoon to fix, but it worked out in your benefit, so that's good. Uh, so I, I'm not going to plan to do anything with you guys in Miami, but other people are going to be there a day or two before, and we will start talking about what you guys want to do. And I have some recommendations, um, like Fairchild Garden. Is that what it's called? I think so. Fairchild Garden is a, an underappreciated spot where you can get to see rainbow eucalyptus trees. I like it there. Uh, let's see. Activity Miami. All right. Would you post the link for Panama Canal? I will post the link for Panama Canal. It is not sold out. Um, we do have space. I just don't have any cabins anymore. So they would, the, whatever I can get would be at prevailing rates, which isn't terrible. It's just not the same. That is the link for the Panama Canal trip. Um, there's an MBTA station, Boston. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Boston. It's B and M line. We used to call it purple line. It leaves from, uh, uh, the Boston garden area, North station. And it goes right into Salem and it goes through Beverly. Well, it goes to Beverly after Salem. But it actually goes through Salem Woods, where I used to camp as a kid. Anyway, too many stories. Will you be posting updates on the Salem trip anywhere? Um, yes. So there is a group on Facebook called the Curious Adventures Guild. And that tends to be the first place that this stuff comes up. So go ahead and, and if, if you are on Facebook, go ahead and join the Curious Adventure 
Adventurers Guild. And you will find out there. If you listen to my podcast, I will definitely mention it there. And it will also be on that website I just linked to, collegeofcuriosity.com. So those are the places. I don't have a mailing list for email because when I started doing that, everyone complained. Again, there is no one way to communicate with folks. But um, I will let everyone know every way I possibly can. You found out about this. That means you will also find out about the Salem trip. Any good nature spots around Miami to explore? Good question. Miami um, is a major metropolitan city, of course. So to do nature, um, depending on how much time you have, I would get the out to the Everglades. I would rent a car and drive out to Florida City or something like that and get out in the Everglades. Um, you, what you do is from Miami, you go south to Homestead, and then you stop at this fruit stand called Robert is Here. <laughs> That's what it's called. I don't know why. It was a little tiny fruit stand when I was a kid, but it's still there and it's gotten huge. But you stop there because it's basically the last civilization for a long way. And then head out into the Everglades Park. You can do this in a day and you will be, it's not very hard to get in the heart of the Everglades and see everything. And you can see um, snail kites and some other birds that are really not found in too many places. I mean, you'll see your roseate spoonbills and um, things like that, but there are some odd, unusual birds that are only in the Everglades. So I would highly recommend that. Uh, there's also Coral Castle. If you guys have heard of Coral Castle, it was this uh, castle this guy built because he was jilted in a love affair and he harnessed the power of gravity to build this castle out of coral. Well, of course, the real story is... is less interesting and yet more interesting than that. But the castle itself is still there. You can visit that. That's also in Homestead. Yeah, the Museum of Science in uh, in Miami is not bad. It's gotten better. Uh, Tamiami Trail, my dad's right. The Tamiami Trail is a highway between Tampa and Miami. Tamiami. <laughs> but it has lots of pull-offs with uh, sometimes they'll have like platforms you can look at and stuff. And you'll see a lot of wading birds out there. Um, yeah, but it's, you know, it's the same kind of thing. You'll see the snowy egrets and you'll see the, the great herons and, um, great blue herons and that kind of a thing. But uh, I think if you go deeper in the Everglades, you, you'll definitely see much, many more songbirds there. And, uh, November is not a terrible time to do that. It's funny. Nobody asks about what are you going to do in LA? <laughs> Honestly, by the time we get to LA, you're going to be so tired, not only of traveling, but of each other, <laughs> that um, I was originally going to organize a trip to La Brea Tar Pits, but I am having second thoughts on that because it's pretty far away from San Pedro, which is also Long Beach, which is also L.A.'s port for people who don't live in L.A. People who live in L.A., it's San Pedro. For everybody else, it's Long Beach or L.A., um, and it's all traffic. I mean, it would be miserable getting there, and then in order to get to the airport, at the time I told people we would, we'd only have an hour or so there. So my new plan is to, uh, I think, take everyone over to the Queen Mary, which is going to be refurbished and opened. And one of the reasons for that is that you can store your luggage there. That's the big problem. What do you do with your luggage? 
So I think, I think I'm going to recommend that folks get over to Queen Mary, store your luggage, and then either stay at the Queen Mary and just chill out because there's restaurants and stuff to see in the Queen Mary or use that as a jumping off point. Now, if your flight's in LA, that mean, uh, from LAX, that means you're going to get back to the Queen Mary. It's, it, it, it's a hard problem, but uh, I'm going to do what I can. You know, I live down the street from Peckwood's or Pequod's Pizza. I've never been there. I uh, heard it's pretty good. Uh, I hate Chicago pizza. I'm sorry. I'm not from here. <laughs> I'm from New England. Uh, so New York style pizza is what I think of as pizza. The stuff they have here, the deep dish pizza is fine, but it is not pizza to me. Um, I like pizzeria Sirio, which is an artistic kind of rustic pizza. And I also like Jets because even though they're a Michigan pizza chain and they sell mostly Detroit style pizza, they do a pretty good job with New York pizza. So I am probably the wrong person to ask. And, and Big Rob, the worst pizza I've ever had in Chicago was Aurelio's. I used to live down the street from Aurelio's. But that's totally a personal preference thing. You do not need to make, take my opinion on pizza. <laughs> uh, have I done Route 66? Yes, Colin. Uh, I talked about that a little earlier. I used to work for Atlas Obscura, and I did a tour, a tour, a tour with Atlas Obscura that did the entire length of Route 66 in Illinois. So we went all the way from the art Institute, all the way down to the chain of rocks bridge. And we went on the brick part, the parts of route 66 that are made out of bricks still. And, uh, it's a little tricky because obviously route 66 doesn't exist anymore, but parts of it do. And it, it moved, you know, route 66 was on different roads. So I had to kind of figure out which route 66 are we going to do? <laughs> but we got to see the birthplace of the corn dog and we went to a drive-in movie and we went to the crazy rabbit place where this guy collects rabbits, both kinds, the fuzzy kind and the Volkswagen kind. Um, yeah, it was, it was an interesting trip. <laughs> yeah. And uh, right. So Adam, Adam lives in Berwyn. There, there used to be a big route 66 museum there. I think it's gone. Uh, the Queen, was I saying QE2? I meant Queen Mary. If I said the QE2 about where we would go in Long Beach, I definitely meant the Queen Mary. <laughs> uh, let's see. Waldo Cooney's Pizza for Deep Dish. No idea what that is. Uh, wow. Rob, if I, next time I go to Oklahoma and I tend to be, the, I've been to Oklahoma a bunch of times. I'm not really sure why. <laughs> I will bring you a pizza. I don't know how. Uh, well, I'll find a way. I might have to cut it in pieces and freeze it and put it in the freezer in my van, but I will find a way to bring you a pizza. <laughs> yeah, and there's the Iowa for people. I I mean, that's what I would like to do, but I know that Jen wouldn't. So I don't know. We'll talk about it. Um, I'm. I, we will have things that we can do, but I think my original idea is not going to work out. I just and it, it's just, and uh, David, you live there, you know how far it is from San Pedro to La Brea. You know, ooh, driveway parking. I've seen your driveway. <laughs> Big Rob has a YouTube channel, and uh, he spends a lot of time in his driveway making videos, so I know what it looks like. It would be a perfect place to park a van. It's nice and flat. <laughs> Oh, sure. Steak show. Okay. That's fine. Mark, take off. Uh, nice to see you again, sir. I hope you're doing well and say hello to the dogs for me. Oh, and Oak too, if he happens to be there. I bet he's in Thailand. <laughs> I like the tar pits. I mean, um, I want to see them again. I saw them as a kid. I would like to go see them again, but uh, they're really far. And I think after three days at sea, after seeing all those ports, most people are going to not be up for a long bus ride. So we'll talk about it. We'll, we'll probably talk about it on the ship itself, actually. 
Uh, so I have questions for you guys. Uh, where do you want to go? So I was talking with my dad today about, you know, the future of these trips that we're doing. And, uh, well, things have changed. You know, the industry has changed. The cruise industry is very different now. Um, the focus in cruising is towards bigger ships that don't go anywhere. If you've seen Royal Caribbean's new ship, the Icon of the Seas, it's literally too big to fit in any interesting ports. So that's, that's the trend. They're not really building smaller ships. Uh, and, and what's considered a small ship now is actually huge, huge. People talk about Serenade of the Seas. That is a Panamax ship. It's the largest size ship that'll fit through the Panama Canal as being a small ship. It was the largest ship in the world in 2000 or 1999 or whatever. Um, it's kind of crazy. So finding places to go is, is difficult. Oh, now Colin. So Colin, Fort Kent to Key West. My dad has done that. Uh, my dad used to drive down to, well, he used to drive down to Miami every year before I-95 existed. <laughs> so imagine that and how long that would take. He used to do that. Um, so I want to know where you want to go. I, I will throw out a couple of ideas I had and we can see what we get for a response, but we have never done the British Isles. Uh, I think a cruise around the British Isles. But, oh, there you go, Pat. There you go. Um, yeah, I think that might be the next target for a trip, but those tend to be expensive. And unfortunately, all the interesting places are expensive at this point, and I don't really know what to do about that. So that's one. Ireland, yeah, we could definitely go to Ireland. Um, Easter Island is on my bucket list, but again, my dad has done that cruise, and he will tell you that it's six days at sea in one direction and seven days at sea in the next direction to go there. So you can imagine how long you're going to be on that ship just to see Easter Island. And from what I've been told, it's better to go to South America and then fly to Easter Island um, and just do that for the day or maybe spend one night. There is not a lot to do there. <laughs> oh, he would totally confuse them if he spoke Gaelic. I am positive. So, yeah, I would love to do... Um, Scotland, Ireland, and some England. I wouldn't mind going to Norway to check off the last Scandinavian country that I haven't been to yet. Although Norway is really starting to put their middle fingers up at, at cruise ships right now. So that would be a little tricky. Uh, the Trinity site, I would love to go there and maybe accidentally get a little uh, in my shoe and bring it home. But um, the problem with trips like that, and I understand Phil Plate does, does some trips like this. So we're, we're not on speaking terms necessarily, but um, I know he does some trips like this, but they have to be expensive. One of the sad truths is that cruises are cheap. When you figure out the per day costs of being on a cruise ship, it ends up being cheaper than doing a bus tour. Bus tours are expensive. You spend a lot of time on the bus. You have to pack and unpack every night. You've got to deal with all these different types of reservations. You got to worry about meals. You got to worry about the bus. You got to worry about hotels. And then if there's an accident or something, it's complicated and expensive. And that's really why I haven't done those trips very often. I am not opposed to them. Um, there are groups that organize these trips and we could buy out an entire bus. You know, we could certainly try something like that, but I think people would balk at the price. They'd be like, that costs as much as a cruise or that costs more than a cruise. And I'm like, yes, it does. <laughs> you know, but people have often talked about, well, let's take that train across Canada. Wouldn't that be beautiful? Yes, 
and it would be incredibly expensive and take a really long time. And it wouldn't necessarily be the trip you think it would be because would you get off the train? Would you like spend a couple days in Banff or would you stay on the train the whole time? I mean, it gets super complicated. So I love the idea. I would love to go see, I'd love to go see Medicine Wheel up in Wyoming. Let's just take Wyoming, one of the rectangular states, smallest population in the United States, uh, smallest population density, not counting Alaska. What's there to see in Wyoming? Well, Devil's Tower, Medicine Wheel, uh, Hal could come with us and show us where he had those big bombs he was going to destroy the world with. I mean, there's lots of stuff to see in Wyoming, but to organize a trip like that, is is difficult and i'm not sure i would do a very good job with it honestly i mean just think of where would you fly where would you where would where would the trip start salt lake cheyenne how many flights a day are there to cheyenne from atlanta two i mean you know it's complicated yeah well, so pat i like rocks and trees and trees and rocks i, I am okay with that <laughs> that sounds like a fun trip to me <laughs> And if you get to stay in all the old railroad hotels that would be awesome there is a train trip to the grand canyon that I've thought about doing the people who run the trip actually approached me and said, Hey, would you like to do a trip on this? They do group stuff. But after researching it, it seems kind of hokey. It, it isn't, it's like the train is superfluous to the trip. You know, you, you basically go almost all the way to the grand Canyon and then you get on this train and then you go for a few hours and then you're not, you're like 20 minutes from where you would have been if you drove. So I don't know if that's the right thing. <clears throat> Uh, another idea that's come up is to do a totally different kind of ship. Um, we could do Windstar. Windstar has sailing vessels. We could do that. Or we could do one of their other vessels. It's a completely different kind of sailing. And what they tend to do, for us anyway, would be go to some of the... Oh, thank you, Rob. I would appreciate that. They go to some of the smaller Caribbean islands, like Dominica and places like that. Uh, Bonaire, places that the big ships don't go, that have a little bit of local culture left. Um, but I have done a lot of Caribbean cruising in the last couple of years, checking off a bunch of islands I've never been to, and I can't keep them straight in my head. Aruba, Curacao, St. Kitts. I mean, okay. The ones that speak Dutch, you'd think I could keep separate, but, uh, they're not that different. Uh, Barbados. So I kind of feel like we're done with the Caribbean. Um, ah, Adam asked the important question. Weren't we going to do the Danube? Yes. And that's what we were planning on doing before COVID happened. So if there is interest, a river cruise is definitely something we should do as a group. Again, with the caveats that you, it's different. Um, there's no space on a river cruise for us all to gather and do stuff. So we might not even be able to eat together. You know, it's just a different space. It's very long and very skinny and there aren't that many public rooms. We could figure it out, but uh, I would love to do a river cruise now. I almost signed up for a river cruise. Um, people who listen to the podcast know that I have talked endlessly about Tiki Bago land, which is this property Jen and I bought last year. That's on the Illinois river in LaSalle County, Illinois. And one day I was sitting out there and a cruise ship went by. <laughs> I mean, Illinois river is not a small river. It's definitely navigable, but it's not the Mississippi. And this cruise ship went by and I was like, holy cow, you can take cruises here. And sure enough, the American Countess from American River Cruise Lines goes from St. Louis to Ottawa 
Illinois, not Ottawa, Canada. That would be quite the trip. No, Ottawa, Illinois. And it goes right past the Tiki Bago. That would be interesting to me. <laughs> um, it's so narrow there that they have to actually use a towboat and take down the smokestacks to actually get around and navigate there. But uh, th the problem is it's expensive. Uh, it just seems unreasonably expensive for this kind of a ship. The problem with the Mississippi is that it only stops in, I mean, it'll stop in some big cities, like you can go to St. Louis or something, but it also goes to plantations and they're not, they're not the good kind of plantations. They're the kind of plantations that really are the gone with the wind kind of plantations. And you're like, where were all the slaves? And like, oh, well, you know, we, we, we prefer to call them servants because they actually had a pretty good life here. You know, there's a lot of misinformation about how badly they were treated. And at that point, I'd be slapping somebody. So it's not really huge on where I want to go. I mean, if you want to go to a, a plantation, go visit the Whitney Plantation just outside of New Orleans, and you'll get to learn a little bit more about what plantation life is like. These plantation sites that have the cruise ship stop at them on the Mississippi are the fantasy antebellum kind of crap ones that I don't want to support. So, uh, circle tour around the Great Lakes. I know Adam wants to do that. Uh, yeah, I would love to do that. Now, for the van life people, if I can get enough interest, we can do a caravan. I mean, we could try that. If I could get five vans, I would totally love to take five vans around the around there. I mean, we'd have to figure stuff out. I've never done that kind of a thing before, but boy, I would love to do that. I think that would be great. Um, the Great Lakes cruises that are starting are pretty cool. Um, you, you, some of them end in Thunder Bay. You go from Milwaukee to Thunder Bay. I would love to do that, but man, they're expensive. Holy cow. They're at least $6,000 a person. And uh, yeah, you know, that would be pretty tricky. Pacific Northwest is awesome. Now we were just there and a bunch of us just did the Columbia River, but there are Columbia River cruises. And I think Columbia River cruises could be pretty cool so that's kind of on my back radar since we were just there but uh you know if you were on that dinner cruise after the alaska cruise we did you saw how beautiful the columbia columbia river is imagine spending a week on that uh i, I i'm i'm game but again american river cruises are expensive and they are american they are crewed by americans it's a different thing yeah, Columbia Snake River. That's what we're talking about. Yeah, I, I would I would consider doing that. I know Jen has talked about Jen is my wife. For those of you who don't know, um, we have talked about doing that. Uh, just the two of us, but I, I would totally do it with a group. And it's very expensive. You know, my dad keeps saying it's very expensive in there. Yeah, these American river cruises, they're not as nice as the European river cruises, and they cost easily as much. Now you don't have to fly. You don't need a passport. And for those of you who are saying, what about the Jones Act? Well, these are the only ships that meet the conditions of the Jones Act. They're American built and American crewed, and therefore they can go from American port to American port. American, American. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, imagine if there were no Jones Act, we would have a little bit more competition for these. And like that Great Lakes cruise would actually be a lot less expensive. Although the way they get around the Jones Act is actually not through being Americans because they go to Canada. So, yeah. So, that's an option too. Um, in my stage of life where I am, uh, at 56 years of age, soon to be 57, I 
I like expedition cruising or expedition trips. I like the way we did Galapagos. I like the way I personally did Antarctica by myself. I like that. That's the kind of stuff that interests me now. But for a group, it's very different. Um, if enough people came to me and said they wanted to do an expedition kind of cruise or trip, which are much more expensive and much more physically active, I would be interested in trying to do that. But for the trips I'm going to organize for the masses, I'm going to try to keep them affordable and I'm going to try to keep them um, accessible to people who, as they're getting older, are not capable of walking 15 miles in a day, basically. You know, I, I am very cognizant of that. So, uh, oh, South Africa. Now, you know, again, that was all my dad, although we did that through G Adventures. Uh, 2016, a bunch of us went to Africa. It was a fairly small group. Um, that was actually a pretty good trip. We th flew into Johannesburg and then we went to a few different lodges in, um, the park there, uh, the, the Kruger into Kruger. One of them was super fancy. And then we went up to Zambia and, um, we actually, I think we flew to Zambia, didn't we? Yeah. Then we flew to Zambia and then, um, we did some Zambia stuff and some of us went to Zimbabwe and some others of us went to Botswana. That was a great trip. I mean, that was an awesome trip. And Jen and I are actually going back to South Africa in March. Um, that was through a tour group called G adventures. That's how we did that. And my dad helped a lot with, uh, figuring some of that stuff out. Cause he is the experienced traveler in the family. I've traveled a lot compared to my parents. I've barely left my neighborhood. Oh, lunch at Sapancho's. Um, yeah, I've, I've, I'm struggling with email. For those folks who are going with us to Cozumel uh, and who have already been to Cozumel and done stuff, you've done Tulum, you've done Swimming with the Dolphins and Chankanab, you've done that stuff. We're doing a lunch at this fairly good local restaurant down in the southern part of the village called Poncho's Backyard. I've sent mail about it a few times. I think we have 10 people signed up right now. I'd like to get a few more. Uh, however, someone who signed up also signed up for Tulum and that, that ain't going to work. You can't do Tulum and lunch with us. So I will sort that out with them, but uh, I will keep sending that link until we get the numbers I like. So you have been warned. <laughs> it's a nice lunch. It's an all inclusive thing. It's 30 bucks. You get all the authentic Mexican food and some drinks too. And, uh, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, have you ever given away the cruise ticket for someone to blog about the trip? Yes. Um, we're working on that right now. January, uh, July 15th was the end of the ex, um, submissions. And I'm talking with the person we picked right now. They have not sent me an email saying, yes, we're going to do this right now, but they have been contacted. So I will announce that when I can, but I'm not going to announce it until I have a hundred percent confirmation for them. Because what we did is we took all the people who applied and ranked them. And we're just going to go down the list until we find somebody who actually is willing to do this because a lot of people applied without actually thinking about it. You know, it's a two week trip and yeah, you get the cruise for free, but you got to pay for airfare and the return airfare is during Thanksgiving week. So, you know, I want a hundred percent confirmation before we talk about it. Uh, bye wild hair. Very nice to see you. Um, where does one sign up for your adventure outings? Good question. So I've been doing this since 2006, I think, uh, first with the James Randi Educational Foundation and then on my own. And, uh, and my dad has been a huge part of this. I mean, the whole, the first Galapagos trip was all him. That was his idea completely. The first trip was my idea. I wanted to do a seance in the Bermuda Triangle, which we did, but 
he's been a huge part of this. So please don't think this is all me. This, none of this would happen without my parents. But um, basically, collegeofcuriosity.com is always going to have it. The Curious Adventures Guild Facebook group is always going to have it. I will always mention it on my podcast uh, as well as on Facebook. Um, I don't have a mailing list because, again, when I tried to do that, people rioted. Like, why are you sending us spam? Blah, blah, blah. So, you know, it, it's, it's a difficult problem. But um, that's those are the basic ways. Uh, I am not on Twitter anymore. Um, and I haven't really embraced any of the new social medias because I don't know who's going to be here a year from now. Uh, Facebook's the one I'm stuck with. So collegeofcuriosity.com and the podcast, if you're not, already in the group but if you join the curious adventures guild group i mean you should it's the same people in here that are pretty much in there uh ponchos is great cool a lot of people have been to ponchos that's good oh pat yeah that's tragic and also good yeah pat so pat here uh pat's a canadian firefighter he's from montreal and uh he had a terrible injury uh you know because he's a firefighter right he puts himself in danger all the time and uh yeah, well, he went out for a bike ride and he, he fell in his driveway and and hurt himself. <laughs> sorry, Pat. <laughs> no, I, I actually am really sorry. Pat actually hurt himself pretty badly, and um, he's an avid scuba diver, and he will not be able to scuba dive on this trip. So we get to have him for lunch, and we can ask him questions about what it's like to be a firefighter in a French-speaking country. <laughs> uh, you have to bring the hat. Yeah, I'm sure you're going to bring the hat. He's got a a, a perfect hat for a a French Canadian firefighter to wear in the Caribbean. <laughs> oh, Oh God. Only nine minutes left. I haven't even finished my beer. You people have made me talk a lot. Uh, we might have 11 now. Yeah. I'll have to check. Uh, for those of you who, I, you, and the people in here, are the ones who are paying attention, I know, but um, every single email I've sent is on the website. Uh, if you click on collegeofcuriosity.com, click on join us for the Panama Canal, you'll see this big button that flies out at you called the Booked Travelers Dashboard. Under that is every email that has been sent about this trip. So it's all in one place. Okay, good night. Hope you get to watch your PBS news. <laughs> and, um, you know, everything's there. But you're always... a able to ask me questions right now. The only things to worry about are that you had damn well better have at least put in your passport application because passports are backed way up right now. And if you have not, uh, you need a passport for this trip. You cannot get away with just a birth certificate. You need a passport. And if you haven't got one yet, apply immediately and expedite it because you may not get your passport before the trip, and that would be tragic. The other thing is that I'm going to charge your credit cards on August 5th for the remainder of the balance, and I have to ask for your credit cards again because Royal changed their system and the credit cards aren't on file anymore. <sighs> Thank you guys at Royal. I really appreciate that. So those are the only two things you really have to worry about. But by now, you should have already booked your excursions. It's okay if you didn't. It's just that a lot of them are gone now. And I still have two options for you that I will present. And if you decide you want to do the things I'm presenting rather than the things you've already booked, not a big deal. You can cancel those and you'll get all that money back. It goes right back to your credit card. It's not a big deal. So anyway, wow. Thank you guys for coming. Um, I really appreciate it. I hope 
this was at least fun, and if not fun, at least informative. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry I didn't get to see you guys face-to-face or have an actual conversation with you. It just doesn't work that way. So if I ever do this again, I'm going to do it differently. Uh, I just have to figure out how. Apparently, doing it straight through the YouTube Live software is not the best way to do this. Um, for those van life folks, if you really want to do some kind of a caravan thing, and I think going around the Great Lakes is a great way to do that, let's talk about that. Um, I know um, I know that's a great trip. I, I know it is, um, and I would love to do it. And heck, I don't need you. I can do it by myself. No, but seriously, if I did that, the way it would work is I would have meeting places and times, basically. It's like, be at this place at this time, rather than everyone following everyone around like puppy dogs. But it would still be a great trip, so we'll see. Colin, awesome. Would love, love, love to do the caravan thing. I think that would be great. And uh, yeah, anyway, cheers. I absolutely appreciate you being here. And remember, hams, the beer refreshing from the land of sky blue waters. Um, hey, folks who listen to the podcast, question for you. Um, I have uh, tried very hard to incorporate cruise life as van life. You know, it's like, it's just a big van that floats. And that hasn't always been terribly successful, especially that time I recorded the podcast on my balcony, not realizing that the white noise of the water going by would dominate everything in the recording. So uh, I have an idea of doing a live podcast um, on the cruise with the cruise passengers that I'm traveling with, uh, none of which are van life people, I think. Well, Matt, Matt Johns has a van, so I'll count him. Uh, is that it? I think that might be it. Does anybody else have even an RV? I don't know. But anyway, I'm curious about what you'd think about that. Uh, would you, I mean, you listen to it now, so I guess it's not going to be any worse than what you already listened to, but I don't know, I think it'd be kind of interesting, except that no one has a van, so I don't know what we would talk about. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll think about it. <laughs> I've got four minutes left. Yeah, content, everything's content, right? Um, I thought about uh, maybe just recording every van I saw on the trip, because uh, I'll tell you, when I went to Uruguay, the vans in Uruguay were fascinating and in argentina too down in uh, ushuaia there were tons of camper vans and they all had argentinian plates right so these are all people from argentina who are completely separate from the van life culture of the u.s you know what must they have seen ah i just think it'd be kind of fun uh oh well thank you rob for skipping the bad stuff i appreciate it <laughs> Yeah, Adam, you know, RVs are big uh, and they and they're not cheap to have and they're not cheap to keep up and no, I totally get it. And you have dogs, which well, dogs love RVs, but yeah, I totally get it. You had a scout. What what's a scout? An international scout? Uh the SUV or there's a lot of different RVs called scout. Oh, yeah, and Starlink, right. We have Starlink. I could do a live podcast. That's an interesting idea. Let me think about how I do that. I would probably do it like this and then record it and then take the recording and publish that as a podcast. Yeah, I could do that. That's interesting. Yeah, it's it's hard to stay up on things. Um, and I'm all over the place. I'm terrible at like, I will put pictures up over here and then, oh, today my pictures are on Instagram. And then, oh no, they're on this Facebook page today. And I'm just going to share this with my Discord friends. You know, anybody who wants to be a completist with the stuff I'm doing is in serious trouble. My wife doesn't keep up with what I do at all. I mean, she, she, she apologizes for it occasionally, but I don't, I don't think she has to because it's all over the place. Oh, a scamp. 
Scout Scamp Scamp. Sorry, ruined the joke. Sorry, I didn't mean to ruin the scope. Uh, scamp. Yes. <laughs> oh, yes. You used to have a scamp. It was in your garage. You had a garaged scamp. That's right. It took me a second to put two and two together here. Um, C styled in the chat is who I bought my scamp from. And I have not gotten to it yet, but I have big plans for it. In fact, I may sell the ambulance. I might sell the ambulance and then get a truck. And then the scamp will be my van. That might happen. And then, I don't know. Some of you are going to reject me because that's not a van. You can't be in van life with a trailer. And I'm like, yes, I can. Watch me. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I will see. My, I, I am so frustrated. I love, let's back up a step here. I love the ambulance. I do. It's running great right now. I don't have any lights on the dashboard, and I love it. But I know the next time a light comes on in that dashboard, it's going to cost me a thousand bucks. I'm sick of it. Unless I can find a reliable mechanic who is willing to work on the thing, I'm probably going to have to sell it after I finish it. I mean, it, it's not finished enough for me to sell right now, even though it's completely functional. Um, but we'll see. Uh, one thing I've noticed about van life folks is that they don't hold on to their vehicles forever. You know, if you ever watched um, Nate from Element Van Life, well, he sold his Element like four vehicles ago, and now... He's talking about getting rid of his second truck camper. I mean, I can't even keep track of the number of vehicles this guy has had. That seems to be kind of a thing. Oh, yeah. The Eclipse and the uh, Olivers are beautiful. Uh, but, I mean, they're the same price as the Bambi from Airstream, you know. Um, they're crazy expensive, but they will last forever. I mean, my scamp, formerly C-styled scamp, <laughs> um, was... Uh, a 1993 you know i mean any other rv would have been long in the junkyard but this thing needs a little bit of polish and some fixing up but it's going to be completely 100 percent when i'm done with it uh and there aren't too many 93 rvs you can do that with you know uh, i'm sorry rob um nice thing about econoline vans is that there's parts everywhere and everyone knows how to work on them although they have to be inside because you have the doghouse thing but, uh, you know, it's, it's better than having a Dodge van where they're like, oh, we don't work on them anymore and you can't even get parts. <sighs> so it's seven o'clock. I think I have fulfilled my obligations of uh, speaking at this green dot for two hours and staring at myself. So, uh, hey, seriously, thank you all very, very much for coming. I hope you got something out of this. And uh, if you ask me to, I will do it again. So cheers. Have good lives. And I'm going to go feed the cats now because they're very, very angry with me.